0: The Church is in Africa
1: At the service of reconciliation Peace and justice The Church is in Africa
2: This is the Africa Service of Vatican Radio.
0: Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa.
3: In this edition today, our bulletin of church news to be followed by Panorama and then our feature of justice and peace. Today we shall close with our sports roundup. My name is Kenyanta Godfrey Kampamba. Pope Francis and all the members of the Council of Cardinals or the C9 on Tuesday, February 6th, continued with their meeting that began on monday with the help of a woman anglican bishop a Salesian sister and a consecrated virgin pope francis and the members of the council of cardinals devoted the first morning of their february meeting to deepening their reflection began last december on the role of women in the church this is according to the director of the holy Press office matteo Bruni who, in a press conference on Monday, had said that the Pope and Cardinals heard from Bishop Joe Wells, Deputy Secretary General of the Anglican Communion, Salesian Sister Linda Poca, a professor of Christology and Mariology at Rome's Pontifical Faculty of Educational Sciences Auxilium, and Joliva di Berardino, a consecrated virgin and liturgist from the Diocese of Verona in Italy. The Pope and the C9 continued with the discussions on the role of women in the Church on Tuesday, February 6th. In addition to Cardinal Lacroix, those at the February meeting include Cardinals Juan Jose Omela Omela of Barcelona, Sean Patrick O'Malley of Boston, Fridolin Mbongo Besungu of Kinshasa in Congo, Pietro Parolin, the Vatican Secretary of State, Oswald Gracius of Mumbai in India, Sergio da Roca of South Salvador da Bahia in Brazil, Fernando Vegas Alzaga, the president of the commission governing Vatican City State, and Jean-Claude Holleric of Luxembourg. Pope Francis on Saturday made a phone call to a nun who is working with poor children in Haiti. Sister Paizzi is a French nun who since 1999 has dedicated her life to taking care of the children of the extremely impoverished and densely populated area in the capital, Port-au-Prince, known in French as the Cité du Soleil or Sand City. Deborah Lubav has this report.
4: Pope Francis made a phone call on Saturday afternoon to Sister Paizzi, a French-born nun who has been in the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince since 1999 to devote herself to the children of extremely impoverished and densely populated Cité Soleil in the Port-au-Prince metropolitan area. In an interview after the papal phone call with Vatican Radio's Jean-Charles Petzalut, Sister Paesi offered a few details about her conversation with Pope Francis and the reality facing people in Haiti. Asked how she received Pope Francis' call, she noted it was a great surprise. When my phone rang, I obviously didn't expect to be called by the Holy Father at all, she said. He sent me a message of encouragement and thanked me for being there for the children. Sister Paisie said it brought joy and hope to many other people because this appeal was not just for me. It was really a gesture toward the children and the poorest people of Haiti. She lamented the always more precarious and violent conditions for those in the capital, noting we now see people sleeping in the streets with their children, something we didn't see in Port-au-Prince before. And asked, without the church, without their action, what would their future be? She said, they would be left to fend for themselves and live in poverty. What would become of them, she pondered, only the Lord knows. But a few days ago, she recalled that some mother said to her, Sister, if it weren't for you, we'd all be dead. (laughs) I think they were exaggerating a little, she noted. Sometimes I even wonder, she said, how people manage to survive when they go several days without eating and really have nothing. The Lord is present, she said. I think that's really the answer. He is present for them. He never abandons his children. I'm Deborah Castellana-Lubov.
3: The Vatican is hosting an international conference on the formation of priests, Rinkindo, the gift of God that is within you, is the title of a gathering that opened on Tuesday with the aim of studying the words priests are trained for ministry. The conference is organized by the Vatican's Dicasteries for the clergy, evangelization, and Eastern Churches and has brought together over a thousand individuals from around the world. Francesca Merlo reports.
5: Cardinal Lazarus Yu, Prefect of the Dicastery for the Clergy, opened the Conference on Clerical Formation by recalling the moment Pope Francis appointed him to his current role. On that day, he said, a bishop friend of mine told me, now you are responsible for ensuring that all the priests in the world are happy. These, Cardinal Yu said, are words that I have never been able to forget and that constantly accompany me in the service of mine. It was this remark, the Korean board, prelate said, that had led him to organize the conference. Many priests today, he noted, are tired and discouraged, caught off guard by the challenges of today's society and the burdens they carry. Thus, he said, the importance of providing priests with the necessary support and accompaniment, and thus the need for ongoing formation, has increasingly come to the forefront. Then, Cardinal Taglay, Prefect of the Dicastery for Evangelization, which is co-sponsoring the conference, also offered a few words before proceedings got underway. He stressed firstly that priests must not think that their formation ends once they have been ordained. Rather, he said it is precisely because we are ordained to the service of God and the Church that we need to be continuously formed. Secondly, Cardinal Taglay said that priests need ongoing education to overcome the tendency to absolutize and glorify one's culture. Ordained ministers, he said, must learn the cultural intelligence to appreciate one's culture, but also to admit the brokenness of one's culture, and to affirm the good elements in other cultures. Finally, noting that many priests are close to people who suffer or are indeed greatly suffering themselves, Cardinal Tagle called for clerical formation that addresses wounds and pains that could easily lead to vindictiveness, cynicism, and hatred. I'm Francesca Merlo.
3: The Archbishop of Nairobi in Kenya has exhorted women and men religious to promote the values that characterized the public life of Jesus Christ. He says the consecrated should do that starting from their respective communities. The Cardinal said this when he celebrated Mass on the Feast of the World Day for consecrated life on 3rd February. In his homily at Holy Mass for Women and Men Religious, serving in his metropolitan see. Archbishop Aniol emphasized the relevance of the gospel values to the contemporary world. The people of God in the contemporary world are struggling with different situations of life. Some are experiencing moments of despair. Archbishop Aniol observed you are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio.
1: African News Panorama
2: Senegal's parliament has voted in favour of a decision by President Macky Sall to delay the country's presidential elections for a few months. The poll was initially scheduled for the 25th of February, but lawmakers voted late on Monday to postpone it to the 15th of December after opposition lawmakers were forcefully removed from the chambers. The adopted bill extends Mr Macky Sall's tenure, which was due to end on the 2nd of April until a new election. Authorities on Monday restricted mobile internet access amid growing protests by opposition supporters against a delay announced by the president on Saturday. Mr. Sal said he delayed the election due to a dispute over the candidate list and alleged corruption within the constitutional body that handled the list. Burkina Faso on Monday introduced the RTSS malaria vaccine into its routine immunization program, becoming the second country in Africa to do so. Cameroon started administering doses of the world's first malaria vaccine to children on the 22nd of January. According to the Global Vaccine Alliance, Gavi, the initial phase of the vaccine rollout in Burkina Faso aims to reach nearly 250,000 children aged between 5 to 23 months across 27 health districts. The World Health Organization approved vaccine is developed by British drug maker GSK around 40 years in the making RTSS is meant to work alongside existing tools such as bed nets to combat malaria. The rollout of the vaccine follows successful pilot campaigns in Kenya, Ghana, and Malawi. Several countries in Africa aim to roll out the program this year, according to GAVI. The medical charity Doctors Without Borders has said 13 children are dying each day of severe malnutrition at a refugee camp in North Darfur State, in Sudan, due to the country's ongoing civil war. The charity said all its emergency thresholds for malnutrition had been reached in the Zamzam camp near the city of Fasher and called for an immediate increase in international aid. One child is dying every two hours in the camp, according to Claire Nicolette, head of emergency response of the charity, also known as MSF or Médecins Sans Frontières. The war that broke out in mid-April between Sudan's army and a paramilitary rapid support force has displaced about 8 million people. Zamzam, a camp of more than 300,000 people, was originally formed by people fleeing ethnic violence in the region in 2003. Staying in the region, about 40 people, many of them civilians, were killed in recent violence in Abyei, a disputed area on South Sudan's border with Sudan. The authorities accused two armed youth groups from Warab State in South Sudan of freeding the area in the early hours of Saturday and Sunday and carrying out what they referred to as coordinated attacks on four different villages within Abyei Late last month, at least 54 people, including women and children, and two UN peacekeepers were killed in attacks in the same area. You're tuned to the Africa Service of Vatican Radio. <music>
0: You are welcome to justice and peace. As you may have heard on this program, Pope Francis received in the audience the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Mr Volker Tark, a week ago. The two discussed a number of international issues. After the meeting, Mr Tark spoke to Vatican Radio about several other issues, which we bring to you in details in this edition.
1: It was a great honor to meet with the Holy Father, and we had a very important conversation about making sure that the world realizes again that there is the right to peace, and we talked a lot about the current conflict situations around the world, and how important it is to come back to senses and to the fulfillment of the right to peace, but we also discussed the dangers of artificial intelligence, for example. We have in 60 countries elections this year. We know when you have social media platforms and generative artificial intelligence combined that this could actually have a, a negative impact on the democratic space because you will have a spreading of false news, fake news, of disinformation, of hate speech, and it's really important to counter that. And we discussed... More generally, the challenges of geopolitics and what geopolitics means for human dignity and human rights and human agency. And indeed, the Holy Father is a very strong champion of the human rights cause in the world.
5: You mentioned artificial intelligence. Currently, there are countless numbers of conflicts with disturbing amounts of victims. course, All these wars being fought with modern technology in a year in which the talk of the defense of human rights is so so massive. How can you explain that?
1: When I look at the world today, I think of a very famous quote by Antonio Gramsci. The old has not yet died, the new is not yet born, and in between is a monster. And we live through this monster period. But we already see also the beginnings of a better world, a world that is fundamentally based on human rights, that is also fundamentally based on the respect for human dignity. But it is true, we see paradoxical situations, we see wars that go back to 19th century. If you look at the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, for example, if you look at what's happening in the Middle East at the moment, unfortunately, if it's combined with technology, the ability to do harm is multiplied, because you also take away human agency. We have a very clear position on lethal autonomous weapons, that lethal autonomous weapons are absolutely contrary to human rights law, and they should not be used. They should be forbidden. So the world needs to wake up to these dangers, but also back to the fundamental principles and values of the United Nations Charter and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, because that was a promise for people in the world. And sometimes I wish that the political and economic elites in the world would understand both the history of it, but also go back to the roots and the basics of what needs to be the consensus in societies.
5: You said the world needs to wake up. Who's the world
1: I think it really speaks to the leadership, because at the end of the day, it's political and economic elites, because we know they have enormous influence. I mean, if you look at B-tech companies, and I'm going to travel to the West Coast to engage with big technology companies around the world, because we need to have a conversation about them, with them, about human rights, the human rights guardrails that we need in order to make sure that very important digital developments do not have a negative impact on human rights of people. But I'm also encouraged by young people. I see an enormous appetite for human rights, for change, to address the climate change issue, and that gives me a lot of hope, which is why I say you know, there is also something that we can work with and work towards, and we need to strengthen those who want to see a better world.
5: What do you think are some of the biggest cases of violations of human rights that we're living at the moment? You mentioned the Middle East, you mentioned Ukraine, but you also mentioned climate crisis.
1: What we see today when it comes to war, and we have over 50 situations where you have a violent conflict, we have situations like Haiti, where you also have gang warfare, there we see the biggest and most atrocious violations. There's absolutely no doubt. One of the recent examples, because we often talk about the Middle East and we talk about Ukraine, but look at Sudan, for example. Look at Myanmar. I mean, it's almost no longer in the news. Look at Syria. And what worries me is that within conflict and violence, there is an inherent dehumanization of the other, and the long-term consequences of war are terrible. It is intergenerational, and we need to find a way to come back to international law, international humanitarian law. There are rules that apply in war. Unfortunately, they are not respected in the way that they should, but also international human rights law. and We need to constantly insist on the normative framework that needs to be put in place.
5: Speaking of conflicts such as Haiti and the almost forgotten conflicts like Sudan and Myanmar, you say that this is where the most horrific violations of human rights occur. Can violations of human rights be categorized or ranked? Are we more afraid of rape as an instrument of war or are we more afraid of hunger?
1: We don't want human rights violations to occur in any case. I mean, that is very clear because they always have an harmful effect. But there are certain violations. That's why we talk about atrocity crimes, for example. We talk about crimes against humanity. We talk about war crimes. We talk about genocide. And there are very clear legal definitions attached to them. So it's clear when it comes to using rape or or starvation as a method of warfare, these are very atrocious forms of human rights violations and violations of international law, which is also why you have the International Criminal Court that looks specifically at atrocity crimes war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. So while we don't really want to speak about a hierarchy of, of violations, it is true that some violations have a more detrimental effect, I mean torture, cruel inhuman treatment of the other than, than perhaps others. But in my position as High Commissioner for Human Rights, we know that even smaller violations can lead to more serious ones over time. So it's always important to bear in mind that this is a slippery slope and we need to be aware of the beginnings of that slippery slope so that we prevent them from happening.
5: Many of the developing nations look to the international community for help, but it would seem as though faith in the international community is always fading. Help is not really being brought as much as it should. Why is that and how can that change?
1: We are seeing a huge unfairness in the world today and an inequality that has only been exacerbated during and after the pandemic. We don't talk even about the pandemic anymore, but it's important to talk about it. Because just to give you an example, most countries in the developing world have to pay more into debt repayment. So they have to do debt repayment So they cannot invest any more adequately in education systems and health systems. And that's a tragedy. Because if the debt restructuring is not done in such a way that you take into account the effect of the pandemic on those countries that are particularly vulnerable to it, who are already exposed so much more to climate change, for example, to all kinds of other pressures and basically are doing debt repayment, and they can't invest in their own future by not investing enough in education. That's a big tragedy. And we really need to call it out. And we need to make sure that there is more solidarity, but there is also more understanding about a fair international financial system that allows countries to do the right thing for their own people.
5: Why aren't these in place, though? Is it a matter of greed?
1: A lot has to do with domination, power dynamics, and that has a lot to do with resources. So yes, at the end of the day, business models are business models of the past. We know in order to address climate change, you have to throw away the business models of today. Methods of consumption need to be looked at differently in the future. I think we need a massive transformation of mindsets, of attitudes, of fostering empathy, solidarity, and compassion for other people, because that's our survival for humanity. And if we don't do it, we will face terrible consequences. Unfortunately, the ones who are often very much involved and very skillful in these power plays are the ones who will get away with it, and that shouldn't happen.
0: Volker Turk, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, speaking there to Francesca Melo. And that was justice and peace for this week. This has been Johnny Baptist, This is
3: a sports roundup and welcome to the program. My name is Kenyanta Godfrey Kampamba. All roads since January 13th, 2024, have led to Ivory Coast, where the 34th edition of the African Cup of Nations is currently underway. It seems likely that when it all began, the world of football has since been entertained to a myriad of surprises at this tournament, with what those days would be considered as underdog teams putting up their best of performances and in many instances sending some of Africa's best teams Packing and going back home. Sunday, 11th February, will see the conclusion of the AFCON with the crowning of Africa's best team. For the time being, all eyes have turned to the match on Wednesday when two football giants in Africa will face each other in the semi-finals. Both South Africa and Nigeria are waiting to outdo the other and run into the finals. The Nigeria versus South Africa match on Wednesday comes 24 years, after Tijani Babangida's brace saw off South Africa in their last Africa Cup of Nations semi final appearance, Babangida's first and 34th minute goals took care of business on that occasion in front of a packed stadium in Surulere in Lagos, where Nigeria co hosted with Ghana. A brilliant penalty shootout performance by South Africa's goalkeeper Ron Wayne Williams helped South Africa fight off a dogged Cape Verde side while Nigeria defeated Angola 1 0 on Friday to set up the semi final. Although both sides have met in subsequent AFCONs, it has not been at the penalty stage. In all the meetings, Nigeria has triumphed. In Tunisia 2004, Nigeria saw off Bafana Bafana 4 0. In the group stage, while their last afghan meeting was in 2019 in the quarterfinals when Egypt hosted Samuel Chukwese and Trust Ekong's goals, helped Nigeria to a 2 1 win. Ivory Coast and the Democratic Republic of Congo complete the semi final pairings. Meantime, Nigeria is warning its citizens to be mindful of where they watch the match on Wednesday. The message is especially directed at the Nigerian diaspora and soccer fans in South Africa and the host country, Ivory Coast, who have been advised against wide celebration should super Eagles defeat Bafana Bafana for a place in the final of the 2023 African Cup of Nations. The warning was issued by Nigeria's High Commission in South Africa that in an advisory note on Monday said the attention of the Nigeria High Commission in Pretoria has been drawn to potentially inflammatory online comments made by a section of South African citizens against Nigerians living in host country, largely influenced by the upcoming 2024 Africa Cup of Nations semi-final match between the Super Eagles and the Bafana Bafana on Wednesday, 7 February 2024. The note went on to say that most of the comments consist of veiled threats against Nigerians, cooking jollof rice before the march, and showing paper to Nigerians if the Bafana Bafana lose to super egos, among others. It went on to say that, in this regard, the High Commissioner hereby advises the Nigerian community to be watchful of their utterances, be mindful of where they choose to watch the match, especially in public places, and refrain from engaging in loud rioters, Or provocative celebrations should the Super Eagles win the match. Additionally, the advisory note said Nigerians should maintain the good conduct that they are known for, and be law-abiding before, during, and after the match. Should any provocations arise, they should not be reciprocated but reported to the appropriate authorities. As you can see, there is a lot of anticipation for Wednesday's clash of the Titans in Ivory Coast. It is all survival of the fittest. Let's wait and see. In other Afghan 2023 news reports from the north of Africa say that Egypt has parted company with head coach Rui Victoria after the national team's underwhelming performance at the Afghan Cup of Nations. This development was confirmed by the Egyptian Football Association on Monday. Victoria's dismissal follows Egypt's dramatic cannot shoot out defeat to the democratic republic of congo in the last 16 dashing their hopes of a record extending eighth African title the team's lackluster group stage performance marked by three draws further fueled frustrations prompting apologies from the egypt football association to the egyptian fans in a statement the Egypt Football Association board thanked Victoria and his staff for their service but indicated they were exploring options among foreign coaches to fill the vacant position. The statement also announced former al coach Mohamed Youssef as the interim manager. Victoria's exit adds to the list of high-profile coaching casualties following the Afghan upset. This tournament saw several African football giants, including the top five ranked nations and the previous edition's semi-finalists face premature exits, paving the way for the so-called underdogs to shine. And that is all we have time for in this edition of our Sports Roundup. Until next week, at the same time, my name is Kanyan Godfrey Mpamba. Uh-huh. This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laude to Jesus Christus.